All right. Well, happy Father's Day again. I've got some good, good news for all you men out there. Every man in this room will receive a cookie today on your way out. This is not the one for each hand policy, so don't, don't try to take more than you're supposed to. Just one per person. I'm excited. My son made me a slap bracelet today, so I am uh, wearing this for him. But man, I just love being with you guys. There's so many awesome men here. I've lost both my grandfathers, I've lost my father, but just to be around you, man, uh, to be around Pastor Brooks, he's more like a grandfather um, because of his <laughs> age, but no, he's only 15 years older than me, he's like a big brother, but, but he is actually with our students. They're on a mission trip to New Orleans, Pastor Eric is leading them, Pastor Brooks uh, is going along, and you know, if he gets tired, I think Eric's already looked up some nursing home numbers, and uh, they can find him a spot there. But we're so excited to have you guys. Can you imagine going on a trip with a bunch of high schoolers and middle schoolers? Some of y'all have done it. I used to do youth ministry along with children's ministry before I came to this church. And, you know, after a while, my wife was like, just do kids ministry, please. You know, so it takes a special heart, a special person. Eric's got that. I'll never forget early in ministry, I took a group of high school and middle schoolers on a ski trip. And we were staying in this building, it had multiple rooms, and all the middle school boys huddled to one room, and I could not get any adult male to stay in that room. It smelled from the moment they entered the door. And so I was like, I don't want to stay in there either. So we came up with a plan. I said, you know, I'll check on them at night, you check on them then, you know, none of us have to actually stay in the room. And uh, that was a terrible idea. Uh, so in the middle of the night, some kid comes crying into my room. Pastor Jeremy, they drug me outside in the snow, my mattress, all my stuff. I woke up with snow on me. And I was like, oh, no, you know. So because I was the one getting paid, I had to go in there and stay the rest of the week. And uh, it was a miserable experience. But, oh, man, I remember middle school. I loved high school. I miss high school, honestly. High school was a blast. I got away with everything. We had so much fun. And middle school was rough. I went to, you know, three different schools, my sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade year. Your body's going through changes, adolescence. It's just a weird time. You don't know what clothes to wear, how to do your hair. I had like those cool MC Hammer pants. Some kids were wearing things inside out. I'll never forget there was this phase. Everybody was wearing Chuck Taylors, which I think is kind of still a thing, and those Converse shoes. And so I was like, Mom, will you take me up to, there was a store in Asheville called Tops. And they had all the sales. I said, can you take me up to Asheville and we'll go to Tops? And Mom's like, yeah, yeah. So we bought some Chuck Taylors. And I'm kind of goofy if you haven't met me yet or figured that out. So I got this pair of Chuck Taylors that had different colors on it. It looked like a rainbow of sorts. And they were ugly as sin. I don't know what I was thinking. And I went to school and I got made fun of the moment I walked in the door. And I told my mom, I said, I'm not wearing these tomorrow. She said, yes, you are. Well, what we paid for those, you're wearing them every day. And so every day I had to go through that ridicule. I went to year-round school that year, so it, we started off in the summer, and it was so hot, and I was starting to get acne, and I was like, I don't know what to do, this acne is bad, so I snuck into my mom's uh, bathroom and found some foundation makeup, and I was like, I'll just put this on, you know, and I'll cover up these zits. Well, sure enough, during class, I just start sweating, and uh, all of a sudden, some kid looks over at me, and he goes, Jeremy, are you wearing makeup? And I was like, oh, no, dude, it's just my skin. It, like, breaks, you know. And he's like, Jeremy's wearing makeup, everybody. And, I mean, it was terrible, terrible. I'd never want to go through that again. It, seventh grade year was also the year of my first dance. Have you ever been to one of these? There, I think it might be better now, but back then it was terrible. It was all the boys stood on one side, all the girls stood on another side. There was this girl I had been eyeing since the third grade, and I was luckily by the end I was able to get a dance with her. 
But the first part of the hour of the dance was just awkward, you know. And there was kind of a couple kids that kind of lingered into the middle, and some of the girls lingered into the middle, and it all kind of worked out. But it was just so awkward. Sometimes I feel like that's the way the church, evangelical Christians, people who follow Jesus, people who believe in the Bible, and the world look like. You know what I mean? It's kind of like we're all over here, and they're all over there, and there's this awkward space where we want to come and invite them to dance to come and find out about Jesus, but we don't really know how. And we've created so many enemies along the way. And I understand that's actually what I'm teaching today is pray for your enemies. Pastor Brooks was doing a sermon series, is still in it, through the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going to pick up on another a prayer that Jesus talks about, which is praying for your enemies. He mentions it in Matthew 5 before the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6. But I'm actually going to teach it out of Luke 6 today if you want to go ahead and open up to Luke 6. We'll start in verse 27. But, you know, I just feel like there is that deal where we have enemies. And Jesus even said in John 15, hey, look, if people hate you, it's because they hated me first, all right? If you look at the Bible, all these people had enemies. You're just living for Jesus, living for God. You're going to have enemies because people don't want to be told what to do. They don't want somebody ruling over them. They don't want to change the way that they live. Uh, they, people don't like goody-two-shoes sometimes. So it's just kind of natural to have enemies. But I feel like we've created even more enemies along the way based on things that aren't even focused on eternity, like temporal things, like politics. We create enemies over politics, and it's like, is it really worth it, you know? Or COVID. I've seen so many people create enemies over uh, things with COVID, and it's like, wow, is it really, really worth it? I mean, we're already so separated from the world. I mean, even from our kids' education all the way up to our adult circles and our churches on Sunday morning, it's like we've got our own little world, and they've got their own little world, and we don't dare want to even cross into it to reach out to them. And now our language has changed so much. When we talk to people, they're like, I don't even have any idea what you're talking about. You know, we're, we're so busy sometimes trying to make this a Christian nation instead of a nation of Christians. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, like, it's like, we want you to follow everything that we believe. They don't believe that. <laughs> so what do you do? You get people to believe. That's how you change the world. You change it one person at a time who puts their faith in Jesus. But the question for today is, what do we do with our enemies? Now, there may be enemies that you've created. There may be enemies that you didn't create. Just people don't like you for whatever reason. And sometimes that happens. I had a guy at the first church I served. He didn't really know me very well. Into about a year, we kind of started doing a ministry together. And he was like, you know what, Jeremy? I'm glad I finally got to know you. For the first year, I just didn't like you. And I was like, why? And he was like, it's just the way you walked, man. And I was like, what? So I've been weird about the way I've walked ever since. I have no idea what I'm doing wrong, but it's something's not right. Um, but, you know, we all have enemies. In fact, there was a reporter who talked to a, a man in their small town. He had turned 100 years old. And the reporter asked the man, she said, what are you most grateful for? You're 100. What are you most grateful for? He said, you know what I'm most grateful for? That I don't have any enemies. And she said, wow, that's amazing. How beautiful is that? And he goes, I outlived them all. All right, so, I mean, we all... We all have enemies, whether it's the world, whether it's based on politics, whether it's a neighbor, whether it's a family member, all right? We all have enemies, all right? But how do we handle that? How do we treat our enemies? And what we're going to find out is that it's very counterintuitive to what we naturally want to, want to do. I mean, we naturally want to get back at people. We naturally don't want to treat people well that don't treat us well. And Jesus comes with this whole brand new idea, and it's like, Oh, we're supposed to love these people? 
You know, because most of our Christian life is falling in love with God and then learning how to fall in love with the world. And we can only do that through God's strength. So let's go ahead. Let's read verses 27 and 28 of Luke chapter 6. Luke is one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. Each one teaches about the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus as Messiah. So let's read that today. Verse 27. Jesus says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Now the truth is, our battle is not against other people. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul, who wrote to the church at Ephesians, said, Hey, look, our battle isn't against each other. It's not against them. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against the evil spirits that are in this world. And Jesus is calling out to us to say, look, when you see somebody who is an enemy, when you see somebody who is worldly, love on them. Now, I think just from this passage alone, there are three levels, and I grew up on video games, so I'm going to give this in level of difficulty, all right? There's three levels here, pray, love, and bless. So we're going to start with prayer. I think that's level one difficulty, and you can write this down if you'd like. Praying for your enemies reveals a complete trust in God. Let me say that again. Level one, praying for your enemies reveals a complete trust in God. At the very least, you can pray for somebody that you don't like, somebody you can't stand to be around, somebody you may even hate. At the very least, you can pray for somebody that hates you for whatever reason, may not even be for a good reason. You can at least go to them in prayer. Now, you may not know what to say. That's okay. The beauty of having a relationship with Jesus is that once you take that step of acknowledging that Jesus is God, putting your faith in him, he actually sends God's Holy Spirit to live inside of you. You decide every day, do I want to be filled with the Spirit or do I want to be filled with myself? I mean, that's the Christian life, right? It's, okay, so today... You know, I'm going to spend time reading his word. I'm going to spend time with others who believe. I'm going to spend time listening to the teaching of his word. I'm going to walk in the spirit. I'm going to spend time praying. And when you do that, you unfill yourself and you fill back up with the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit who gives us the power. But here's the really neat thing. When you pray, in Romans 8.26, we read that the spirit actually tells God what you really need. See, we don't know how to talk to God. We don't know what to say. But it says the Holy Spirit makes groans on our behalf. I have no idea what that is. Maybe it's like me with my kids when they make another mess. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Maybe that's how they're doing when we pray. I don't know what the Holy Spirit says. But he tells God this is what he's trying to say. So even if you can just get out a name, Lord, pray for Billy Bob, all right? <laughs> Billy Bob is just driving me crazy. He hates me. I just want to get his name to you and put it before you. But you could also pray that God would reveal himself to that person. God, just reveal yourself to him just show him or her your love help them come to know you as savior then you can pray for god to soften your heart for that person god melt my heart for them give me a love for them and then you can just turn it over to god pastor brooks did an awesome job last week as he was working through the lord's prayer jesus gave a model prayer on how to pray and one of the steps that Jesus said was, forgive others, or God forgive us as we forgive others. 
And so that forgiveness is letting go and turning it over to God. We see this from Paul, the Apostle Paul, in the book of Romans. He wrote in, verses, in, ver, in chapter 12, verses 18 through 19, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. That was from Deuteronomy chapter 32. We turn it over to God and we say, okay, God, you handle it. He's in control, right? I'm not the judge and jury of somebody else. I've done just as many horrible things as somebody else. It's not my place to to rule over somebody else. I turn it over to God and I say, here, God, through prayer, I'm saying it's you and not me. Prayer is that moment when you're like, okay, I've got so many things to do. My life is so busy, but I'm going to stop and turn everything over to God. That shows complete trust. Prayer reveals that you trust God. Well, the next level, let's level up, all right? Let's go to the next level. The next level is love. Loving your enemies reveals the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. Let me say that again, level two. Loving your enemies reveals the Holy Spirit's presence in your life life. When you walk with God, when you are filled with the Spirit, you start achieving or having in your life fruits of the Spirit. In Galatians 5.22, we read that the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all the fruits of the Spirit. The first is love. That is the foundation. And when the Holy Spirit lives through you, you can begin to love other people. I can't love people on my own. I'm incapable of loving an enemy. It totally goes against my nature. But God can love someone through me. We see in 1 John 4, verses 8 through 9, the one who does not not love does not know God. Let that sit in for a minute. It's kind of convicting, isn't it? (laughs) If you don't love, then you don't know God. It's like Brooks mentioned last week. How can you accept forgiveness but not give forgiveness to others? How can you accept God's love for you but not in turn love somebody else? The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. That's where it comes from. By this love of God was manifested in us that God sent his only son, Jesus, his begotten son, into the world so that we might live through him, so we might love through him. He was the ultimate example of love. He gives us the love. The Spirit gives us the power to love other people because we can't do it on our own. I mean, think about Jesus. Here he is. He's God's son. He's God in the flesh. Because he's God, he's omniscient, meaning he knows everybody's past, present, future. He knows every thought someone is having. He knows all the sinful, terrible things that somebody has done. Yet, you can see in Mark 6, 34, he steps out from the boat. He goes onto the shore. He sees a large crowd. And does he think in my mind how, in his mind how terrible are these people? No, it says he felt compassion for them. He felt compassion for them. That we could have that same love, that we would look at people that we can't stand and think, oh, I have compassion for that person. Now, I know you, if you're like me, watching the news, maybe there's a politician you don't like, your first, you know, you probably enjoy it when they say something really dumb, <laughs> when they don't get reelected. When something bad happens, it really reveals your heart, doesn't it? It's like, I can't stand that person. But what if you were able to turn on a news program or see somebody you can't stand or be around a family member just drives you crazy and have compassion for them first? Knowing how much you can't stand that person 
but your heart breaks for them because you know they're far from God. And that's what concerns you the most. Not what they're teaching, not what they're about, not what party they belong to, not what they've done to you, but you're worried about their heart. We see this ultimate example in Luke 23, 34. Jesus is on the cross being crucified because he claimed to be the Son of God. And as he's being crucified, he says, Father, forgive them. That's the ultimate example of love. He was dying for people who were mocking him, people who had beaten him, people who had shoved the crown of thorns on his head, people who were at that moment gambling for his clothes that they had stripped him of. And his first thought is to want to see them forgiven for all the wrong they were doing to him. Now, I got a little bit nervous after the first service because I shared a story that Pastor Brooks shared last week. And I thought, was I daydreaming during that whole sermon? Am I that bad a person? <laughs> and I asked my wife, she's like, I didn't hear this story either. Well, finally, Brooks relieved me because he said, oh, you came in late. And see, we're always up with the kids. We came in late. So I'm going to share a story again uh, that Pastor Brooks shared last week. And somebody mentioned to me, said, I really think God's trying to speak to me because that story came up twice. Uh, it's from The Hiding Place, Corey Timboom. I'll explain it in just a second. I cried during the first service. I'm one of those guys. They used to call me girly man at my last church. No offense to all the ladies. I think you're tougher than we are. But um, I just cry. Any Disney movie, like Up, you know, the first five minutes of Up, I'm in tears. Even Wreck-It Ralph, I cry at the end when that girl gets her own video game back. I mean, I cry at everything. All right? I'm just a crier. And so I'll try to keep it together. But I want even though Brooks shared this last week, I want to share this again. This is an extended version of it because it's so powerful. If you know anything about Corey Ten Boom, the hiding place, she lived in Holland. She was a devout Christian. Her family loved the Lord so much. They just had an unshakable Christian morality. They saw what was happening to the Jewish people, the annihilation, what they were struggling with, with the Germans. And so they were hiding them. They were trying to take care of them. And their family ended up paying the price for this. Uh, they, she got separated from her family for a time. For a time, she went to Ravensbrook death camp. And even her sister, sister was there. Her sister died there. But, I mean, they were just treated terribly. And luckily, she was able to eventually break free of that, be released from that. But I want to read to you what happened. Again, Brooke shared this last week, but it's so powerful. I want to read to you what happened when she encountered one of the men who did some of the horrible things that happened to her and her sister and the other women that were at this death camp. It was a church service in Munich that I saw him, a former SS man who stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly, it was a hall to air. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing. Betsy, that's her sister, her pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said. To think, as you say, he could wash my sins away. His hand thrust out to shake my hand. And I, Corey who's speaking, and I, who had preached so often to the people, the need to forgive, I kept my hand at my side. Can you blame her? Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts that boiled through me, and I saw the sin of those thoughts, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? 
Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so, again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I prayed, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm, through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. While into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. Isn't that powerful? We can't do this on our own. It has to be the Spirit loving others through us. Level three, the most difficult level to accomplish. I spoke to a young man earlier this week, and he asked, what happens after somebody gets baptized? And I jokingly said, well, we go to heaven. But no, there's this in-between part, right, where we're growing in God, where we're sharing his word, where we're maturing. And so level three is this. Blessing your enemies reveals Christ-like maturity. I've rarely met anybody that has achieved this level of the Christian life. Again, blessing your enemies reveals Christ-like maturity. It's not you doing it. It's Christ living through you completely. In Hebrews 6.1, we see this thought. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ let us press on to maturity. We all need to be growing up. We need to be maturing. And if you can bless an enemy, that's maturity. <laughs> now, I give you this challenge. I challenged some guys earlier in the year with this. I, I, listen, if, if I were to tell you right now, hey, think of somebody that you love. Go home. Get on Amazon. Buy them a $50 gift card and send it to them. You're like, ooh, that would hurt. But it sounds like a Christian thing to do. I'll do it. But if I said, now, I want you to do it for the person you can't stand, you'd be like, nah, I don't know about that. <laughs> now, if, if you, any of you take this challenge and some of you receive cards this week, don't blame it on this message. I don't know what's going on. Evidently, some people have some issues with you. Just accept it and spend it, all right? So, but, but let's go back to see what Jesus says about blessing your enemies. What does that look like? I mean, we've been so blessed, right? I mean, we are blessed. Our goal is not to hold that in. But we give everything to Christ. Everything belongs to him. So now we're just taking what's actually his and just passing it out. That's what he wants us to do, right? We can't take anything with us when we die. So we, we bestow it on other people, especially our enemies. That's the way we make that connection. That's the way we get onto the dance floor with the world is we bless them. We show them the love of Jesus. Look at what Jesus says. It's incredibly convicting. I'm going to start back in verse 27, read all the way to 36 out of Luke chapter 6. Jesus says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. It doesn't matter if they treat you that way. This is the way God's told you to treat them. 
If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend and expect nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. There would be no better compliment for a Christian, for a believer, than somebody to say, what you just did looks like Jesus. It looks like what God did for us. And we didn't deserve His love. We didn't deserve His blessings, but He gave it anyway, out of His great infinite love. And we have access to that great infinite love if we'll allow ourselves to be humbled, ourselves not to demand back anything, not to demand revenge, not to get back at somebody, but to say, God, it's yours. Just help me to love. Now, listen, I know there's some of you here that like revenge. I don't mind a little bit myself, so I did throw in a revenge verse. Are you ready for this? Proverbs 25, 21 through 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will be heaping burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. All right? Kill him with kindness. All right? So it's in there. All right? So you can, you can do that. Well, you never know. I mean, you might love on somebody so much that they feel ashamed at the way they treat you. Right? That's how they may feel. Now, I want to close with a person I think just really achieved ultimate, complete spiritual maturity. And his name was Stephen. Uh, you maybe heard of him. Uh, shortly after the church got started, so Jesus died, rose again three days later. He spent about 40 days teaching the disciples. Then he ascended up into heaven. He'll come back one day for his children. All right? It's pretty amazing. Now, the church is getting started, and a bunch of people accept Jesus. And it gets to be kind of messy. I mean, we're talking about thousands of people. And so they had the, the, the apostles, uh, these men who followed Jesus around, you probably heard them, the, you know, the 12 disciples, they had one on after Judas, all right? So they're, 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 trying to, they're, they're trying to teach, but they got all these things they're trying to do. And they're like, we need some servants, what we might call deacons. We need some folks in the church. So let's pick some men who are godly. So they choose Stephen as one of these men. You can see it in Acts chapter 6, verse 5. It says they chose Stephen. So he's just a normal guy. But he was a mature Christian. I mean, you can see this. It's sprinkled all throughout the next two chapters. Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Go down to verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power. Go down to verse 10. Stephen is facing some teachers from the synagogue. He's trying to explain to them who Jesus is, but he's so wise. He's so loving. It says they were unable to cope with him. Uh, they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Stephen's just a phenomenal, mature believer. Well, let's move all the way to Acts 7, verse 54. Jesus, uh, Stephen had given this long sermon about Jesus. He went through the Bible, the prophets, and he spoke. And he's doing it in love, but he's also sharing the truth. And he's saying, look, Jesus, he was God's son. He is. He's alive today. You guys are the ones who crucified him. But guess what? He loves you, and he wants to forgive you, and he, and he wants to bring you into his family. Uh, they didn't like the sound of any of this. Uh, so when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their 
teeth at him. I've never had anybody gnash their teeth at me. I have no idea what it's like. Amber's come close a few times. That's my wife. Um, but being full of the Holy Spirit, there it is again, all right? Stephen, I mean, he's just a mature guy. He's full of the Holy Spirit. Instead of focusing on the enemy, I mean, these people are getting riled up. Instead of focusing on the enemy, he gazes up into heaven. It says he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God. And then he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open up and the Son of Man, that's Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. Well, they didn't want to hear any of this. Uh, they cried out with a loud voice and they covered their ears and they rushed at him with one impulse. And when they had driven Stephen out of the city, they began to stone him. They would pick up literal stones and throw it at somebody until they would die. Moving on to verse 59, they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and he said, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. He was about to die. What's going to be his last words? Well, falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. His last words mimicked Jesus's last words on the cross, asking for forgiveness he showed the true sign of Christian maturity by using his last phrase to bless his enemy. Wow. That we could just have a little bit of that. It would make the world a much different place. Here at the end, I want to remind you of something. And it's difficult to hear sometimes, especially if you're new to hearing about Jesus' teaching. But all of us at one time are still our enemies of God. Why? I mean, God is so loving. How could we be an enemy of Him? Well, we've sinned against Him. We've done wrong to Him. Anytime we mess up, we do it against God. And God, being a good Father, being a righteous judge, He has to punish sin. It would go against His nature just to let it go and act like it never happened. He has to punish sin. Instead of punishing us, he decides to punish his one and only son, Jesus. And look at what it says here in Romans 5, 7 through 8. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare to even die. But God demonstrates, he shows us his own love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Look at what it says in verse 10. For while we were enemies, enemies, for while we were enemies, he gave us the ultimate sacrifice. He laid down his life for us. And all he asks us in return to do for our enemies is to pray for them, to love them, and if we can do it only through the Spirit's power, bless, bless them. Today, I want to pray a blessing for you, that you would leave with God's Word in your heart and in your mind, wanting to love on somebody. Hopefully, you got somebody in your mind right now. Lord, you're going to have to use me to love this person. <laughs> you're going to have to work through me. If he did that, that is a sign that Christ is working in your life. Hey, maybe you're there at that moment where you feel like you are an enemy of God. 
you're faced with the fact that you have made mistakes, that you're far from Him, and none of us can do enough good or follow enough rules to be right with God. We just can't erase our own sin. So God provided a way through Jesus. Jesus, God's one and only Son, God Himself came to this earth, lived that perfect life, loved His enemies, blessed His enemies, spoke the truth to His enemies, but did it in a righteous way. And then He laid down His life and took our punishment when he was on the cross. And then he rose again to show us that we don't have to be afraid of death. If we believe in him, we can have life forever with God. Jesus gives us his righteousness. All he asks us in return is to give him our sin. Maybe you'll do that today. Maybe you will give it over to him and say, God, take my sin, take my life. I want to belong to you. I want to be your child. And watch him begin to work in your life. Watch him change your heart. Watch him grow you into maturity and watch him have you do things for others that you can't stand. God can do it. You just have to turn it over to him. Let's stand and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is powerful. It strikes our hearts. We thank you for Jesus, his example, his challenge his love for men like Stephen who not on their own I mean just an average man not on his own was he able to love and bless his enemies no he did that because he was full of the spirit and I pray that all of us would empty ourselves of our own wants our own desires and just give it to you there are people who have hurt us said things to us done things to us it's unforgivable I know Yet you ask us to forgive. You ask us to love and bless. Help us to do that, God. We can't do it on our own. Lord, if there's anyone in this room right now, they've not taken that step to say, Jesus, I acknowledge that you are God. I believe that you died for me. I believe you rose again. I believe you're in heaven right now waiting for me to say yes that today would be the day that they would call on you and say, Jesus, come on my life and save me. I'm a mess. <laughs> Just meet me where I'm at, please, Jesus. Change me. If you'll do that today, he will. Hey, look, I'm going to be in the front, guys. I'm going to be here if you want to come and talk to me. Lord, thank you for this time. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray.